When I was a child, and there were no such things as DVDs or Netflix, every year around Halloween, one of the three main television networks would broadcast The Wizard of Oz. For most of my childhood, I watched it on black and white TV, which meant that scene where Dorothy opens the door and for the first time glimpses the technicolor of Munchkinland was a little bit lost on me. The movie is as good an example of the purpose of apocalyptic literature as I have found. Dorothy's sepia-toned life in Kansas is filled with despair. We don't know what's happened to young Dorothy's parents, but we can imagine. She lives with her Auntie M and Uncle Henry, who are kind but harried, struggling to keep the farm going. Dorothy is in trouble with a mean-spirited neighbor who's intent on destroying her dog, Toto, but no one will listen to Dorothy's concerns. Everyone seems to think she's in the way. Then there's the tornado, which threatens everybody and everything. Who wouldn't prefer to imagine another place, a technicolor place, somewhere over the rainbow, a place where there isn't any trouble. When people are miserable, first they try to change their situation through peaceful means. If that doesn't work, they rebel or revolt. If the risk of revolution is too great, they subvert or sabotage. They go underground like the French Resistance or the Underground Railroad. And when it appears that nothing can be done, that resistance is futile, People look for hope in an intervention from beyond themselves. They look for rescue. They hope for something probably dramatic and cataclysmic and certainly miraculous that will come from outside and turn the current situation on its head. I suspect most people can think of a time in their own lives when escape or rescue seemed like the only option. And that's what the original audience of Revelation faced. Their context wasn't Depression-era Kansas, but the Roman Empire, built on destruction and cruelty, slavery and theft of resources, unjust trade and domination. This morning's verses at the end of Revelation describe the people's ultimate hope, the culmination of God's recreation of heaven and earth. Although the writer describes a new heaven and a new earth, that doesn't mean this earth has been annihilated and replaced. This vision is the very opposite of Armageddon. It's an earth-centered vision of beauty and healing. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans that the whole creation is longing for redemption. It is in this sense that earth will be a new creation. It will be redeemed and healed, along with the rest of creation, along with us. And contrary to people's ideas about the rapture of the people of God, whisking them away from earth, there is no rapture in Revelation. In fact, what we find instead of people being removed from earth is God coming to earth to dwell among mortals. The heart of the message of Revelation 
is not that God plans to destroy the world, but that God's desire is to heal our wounds, heal all the wounds of creation, heal our world, and be with us. So in spite of the very scary images in earlier chapters of Revelation, Revelation is a message of hope. At the end of The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy wakes from her dream, a dream that included some very frightening images. As a child, I found those flying monkeys particularly terrifying. But when she awakes, Dorothy realizes that everything is now different because of the dream. What she had thought was a hopeless place and a hopeless life is actually filled with people who love her and care about her, and she understands for the first time that there is no place like home. In the same way, Revelation was written not to terrify people, but to bring them home to God. The scary imagery is supposed to be a wake-up call, not a prediction. The vision is to awaken hope in the people and to encourage and sustain that hope when things seem most bleak. Revelation tells the people that there is light in the midst of their current darkness, that the absolute power in the universe is not Rome and its military might and its cruel authority. The absolute is God, a God of mercy and peace and compassion and love. History is headed not to Rome, but to God. For a couple of thousand years, these words of comfort and hope have inspired people in trouble, people oppressed by political power, oppressed because of their religion or race or gender or sexual orientation, American slaves, Christians in Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union, the mountains of Afghanistan. And they have been a comfort to people facing and pondering the reality of death, the death of their dear ones, friends, parents, spouses, children, and of course, their own death. Having seen the vision, everything is different. Nothing will ever be the same, not just in the distant future, at the end of time when death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more, but for the people who read it then, and for the people who read it now, for this time, this world, for us. The vision offers a view of what we have to do, in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., who appealed to this vision in his 1968 speech, I've Been to the Mountaintop. He said, it's all right to talk about streets flowing with milk and honey, but God has commanded us to be concerned about the slums down here and his children who can't eat three square, square meals a day. It's all right to talk about the new Jerusalem, but one day God's preacher must talk about the new New York, the new Atlanta, the new Philadelphia, the new Los Angeles, the new Memphis, Tennessee. This is what we have to do. Revelation's vision is an invitation to live as citizens of God's New Jerusalem, or New New York, or Los Angeles, or San Anselmo, now. To trust that God is making all things new, now. 
the verb tense in the Greek is neither past nor future, but ongoing, including the present. This timelessness, this blurring of past, present, and future is part of what we celebrate today on All Saints Day. Last week, someone mentioned that many people don't know the connection between Halloween and All Saints. Halloween probably has its roots in a Celtic celebration called Samhain, which when it was believed that the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead were blurred. As so often happened, the early church blended and supplanted this celebration with a holiday of its own. All Saints Day on November 1st, a day to honor all saints, and All Souls Day on November 2nd, a day to honor the dead. The night before All Saints, All Hallows Eve, or eventually Halloween, retained its spooky flavor, but All Saints, too, in a not-at-all-spooky way, insists that there is a blurring between the living and the dead in what we call the communion of saints. That's the phrase that we use to proclaim that Christians are all connected to one another in all places and situations, even across time, even across the divide of death. In the Protestant church, a saint is not someone who performs miracles or lived an exceptionally holy life or even someone who is dead. In scripture, the saints were common folk who had accepted that invitation to live now, not just after they die, but now in the kingdom of God, in the new Jerusalem. On Friday, the KQED California report included a story by a 17-year-old journalist named Billy Cruz about how old is too old to go trick-or-treating. Cruz interviewed his friends and neighbors and found consensus that when you open the door, answer the door, and instead of hearing trick-or-treat, you hear trick-or-treat. <laughs> and the trick-or-treater hasn't even bothered with a costume. That kid is too old to be trick-or-treating. Cruz described the loss that kids feel when they figure out they're too old. Besides giving up the candy, there's a sense of leaving childhood behind. He said, Halloween used to be a chance for me to hang out with my mom and make costumes together. One year she stayed up late the night before Halloween to help me paint red stripes on a white shirt so I could be Waldo from Where's Waldo? Yeah, I miss that, but I am too old. But Cruz, like many of us, figured out that Halloween continues. He closed with this. Now I can look forward to one day having my own kids and taking them trick-or-treating and helping them out with their costume. Halloween doesn't end, it just changes. We could say the same about the life of the citizens in the New Jerusalem. It doesn't end, it just changes. There's a wonderful old expression we rarely use to say that a Christian has died. We say, she has completed her baptism. Those of us who are living our baptisms have a different calling than those who have completed their baptisms, but the life in Christ does not end. The invitation to be citizens of the New Jerusalem continues 
Nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. One verse of For All the Saints, which we'll sing later, says, O blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine. All are one in thee, for all are thine. So perhaps it is our calling to continue to struggle for now with the new San Francisco, the new Marin, the new San Anselmo. But their calling is to shine. Perhaps their calling is to shine for us and inspire us and to be the shoulders upon which we stand. Without a doubt, we are here because of them. And perhaps it is their calling to remind us that someday our names will be read. Someday we will be the ones on whose shoulders another generation stands. They give us hope that perhaps one day we'll be remembered not for our heroic feats, but for loving God and each other a little more fiercely than we thought we could. They remind us that sometimes maybe even because of them, we get a little bit closer to the new Jerusalem than we might reasonably expect. We name them today, those saints on whose shoulders we stand, not because they are any more flawless or any more admirable than any of us. We remember them because all who claim the faith, past, present, and future, are part of the same body, a body that stretches back 2,000 years and forward into an unknowable but hope-filled future. We remember them because they continue to hold us up. While the mystery of what it means is yet to be revealed to us, they continue to help us to proclaim that in life and in death, we belong to God. All are one in thee, for all are thine. Thanks be to God for all the saints, past, present, and future. Amen. <laughs>